You know those movies where uh, people go on an adventure and they go looking for some kind of uh, ancient relic? You know, like Indiana Jones, you get Harrison Ford and Sean Connery and they go on some sort of adventure and they overcome enemy forces and they solve various puzzles. And at the end of their search, they find this like ancient relic. And the idea of it is it's supposed to unlock kind of untold riches. Uh, and this morning, I feel a little bit like one of those people kind of holding this magic key. Not, not that going through the story of Ruth is anything like an Indiana Jones movie, but it's really a way uh, to, to wrap it all up and say, look, here you go. Uh, hold on to this because I think this will help you day after day and for the rest of your life. I'm going to give you a PCR test. Hooray, I hear you all say. Does everyone know what a PCR test is? Um, the medics here and the various brainiacs among you will know uh, that a PCR test is a polymerase chain reaction test. It's a laboratory test that uh, looks for coronavirus. So it's quite a well-known expression at the moment. But you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to talk about PCR tests. I want to spend the next kind of 20 minutes or so getting to grips with how the story of Ruth is a test. Or to put it another way, it's a proof of PCR. And as we do that, to see how that proof is important to our lives both now and in the future. Clearly, I am making PCR stand for something else, not for polymerase chain reaction. I want it to stand for providence, covenant, redemption. Providence, covenant, redemption. Now these are big technical words, but the story of Ruth is in fact God's story of providence. It's his story of covenant. It's the story of redemption. And these are elements in God's big story that I think if we can get our heads around them, they will give us a foundation in understanding who God is. It will help us in our relationship with him. It will help you in your worship and your faith and how you pray and so much more. Besides, So let's read this final chapter of Ruth together and we'll get into that. So Ruth chapter four says this. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate. You'll remember that Boaz has uh, been on the threshing floor with this young lady, Ruth, uh, on the previous night and they've gone their own ways. Uh, he gave her some barley uh, to go home with. Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he'd mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So we went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. They're all quite compliant, aren't they, really? Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you and I'm the next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Gulp. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. 
I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption of transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalising transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders of all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Chilion and Marlon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephratar and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. Father, I thank you that as we gather here today, we're actually a continuation of that genealogy. (laughs) That Lord Jesus, because you came and you brought us into your family and you caused us now to be co-heirs with you, we're your brothers, we are one with you. Lord Jesus, you've brought us into a plan and you've given us your word to help us to see what that plan is. And I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that as we look into what you would speak to us about from your word here today, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would grasp more and more to just the extent of who you are, the depth of who you are, the power you contain. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Amen. Throughout this story, uh, we've been witnessing the work of God's providence uh, in the life and the death of the people involved, the climate, even the time of year of which these events occurred. And chapter four is really no exception to that. On the morning in question, Boaz has woken up with an attractive young widow nestled under the corner of his blanket. He hands her some barley and they leave, we assume unseen by anyone else. You know, God is overseeing the activity of the people around and about. Ruth goes to Naomi and Boaz heads into town where it just so happens that the nearer relative is passing by and the elders of the town are there too. So this transaction can happen legally. Now something I don't want us to miss at the start of this chapter is that God's providential hand 
is at work in the life of Boaz, of Ruth, Naomi, the other kinsmen, just as indeed it is at work in your life, in my life, our family's lives, and in fact, all of creation, moment after moment, hour after hour. So what on earth is it and why does it matter? Let me paraphrase what a man called Wayne Grudem would say about it. He says this, that God's providence is his continual involvement with all created things so that, one, he keeps them existing. Secondly, he cooperates with them. And thirdly, he directs them to fulfil his purposes. Let's just reflect on that for a moment or two. What he's saying here is that God keeps all things as he created them. He is the giver and sustainer of all life. Amen? Amen. The Bible says that Christ is sustaining all things by his powerful word. That means that Jesus is permanently bearing the weight and exercising power in order that the whole universe remains in existence. Does that blow your mind? It really should. Why does this big word, providence, then matter to us? It brings us to Jesus in worship and adoration. The maker, the sustainer of all things whom you and I know through his choice to live as a man, to die for us so we can know him, continues to hold the whole universe together. So just in case you are at risk of becoming flippant or apathetic in your worship of Jesus, be here reminded of the magnitude of the one to whom you come in worship. There are numbers of reasons why God's providential work in our lives and on the earth matters. And one of the specific examples from this chapter is what happens between Ruth and Boaz. You won't have missed it. It happens in verse 13. After they were married, Ruth conceives and gives birth to a son. It's at this point you could say this is the moment when God's work through the marginalised is front and centre to his plans for all of creation. This is the moment when the P of providence, the C of covenant come together, they join forces and they bring about the R of redemption. The father's providential work in the lives of Naomi, of Elimelech, of Ruth, of Boaz, it's bringing about the covenanted union of these two people. From that definition a few moments ago, God is directing that which he has created to fulfil his purposes. You see, when I say that we are testing providence, it does not mean we are seeking to prove whether it exists or not, like a PCR test would show whether the subject has COVID or not. 
It's a test that reveals the strength of providence. By putting it under strain, by putting it to work, we know already that God is providential. What the story reveals is just how strong that is. It's a bit like how rugby or cricket teams will compete in test matches. We can only really know how good England are at rugby by putting them into a test playing against other teams. If that team was Didsbury, it's not a test. If that team is France, it is a test. Now, throughout the story of Ruth, our father has been cooperating with that which he created to bring about the union of these two people. And we know that ultimately that union leads to the parenting of Jesus. He, who is the same yesterday, today and forever, is taking ordinary human beings like you and I to fulfil his purposes on the earth. Hallelujah. This is the story of God's providence. You and I are the story of God's providence. We, now, right now, today, we are cooperating with the Father so that his purposes will be fulfilled. Also, the story of Ruth shows us just how strong covenant is. Now, covenant is defined as an unchangeable legal agreement. It's often used in property transactions. You'll hear of properties being exchanged that are subject to covenants. It means that a piece of land, for example, can only be used or cannot be used for certain purposes. It's a binding promise. We all today live subject to covenant. A covenant within God himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's an agreement that we refer to as the covenant of redemption. It's an agreement between the three members of the Trinity to send Jesus as a man into the earth to live by the requirements of the law, to act as a mediator between us and God, give his own life, gather together a people, you and I, the church, and through that to pour out the Holy Spirit to us. That's the agreement that they made. And the reason this is so important to us is because we must see that it has always been in the heart of God to make promises, to make covenants that he will deliver on. He didn't need to make that agreement, but he did. We have a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Is that absolutely amazing. I hope you can get as excited about that as I do, because we've seen here that God is working powerfully and continually in creation, and that includes us. And we're now hearing that he makes promises. This is the God we serve. Back in chapter one of Ruth, Ruth makes one of the most life-affirming promises you will ever hear. She says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Have you ever said that? 
That is a promise. That is Ruth's covenant with Naomi. If you're married, you've said that. You may not have used those exact words, but you said it. Marriage is a covenant. It's a binding promise. Have you ever said that to Jesus? Have you ever prayed, Jesus, where you go, I will go? It's brave. Very, very brave. But it is hugely exciting. What an exciting promise to pray. What an exciting promise to make. We're going to come back to that a bit later. But do you know what? He, that is God, Jesus has said it to you. God made promises to the people of Israel. He did that knowing full well that when the Messiah came, they would reject him. He even warned them. He told them. He said that the day was coming when he would make a new covenant. So what happens is he promises this to you and I. He says, I will be their God. He's talking about us and they will be my people. The book of Hebrews explains this to us. It says that this new covenant will be established by Jesus. It would replace the old one and the new one, this is great news, would be superior because it's based on better promises. Shall I tell you what the promise is? You can read about it in Hebrews chapter 9. It says, I'll give, you the, I'll give you the headline. It says this, salvation is coming to those who are waiting for Jesus. That is the promise to you under the new covenant. Furthermore, it goes on. It says, no longer will we require an intermediary between us and God, as it was under the old arrangement. No, today, in the new arrangement, you and I have free access to the Holy of Holies because we are cleansed. We've been made righteous before God once and for all. Yes? Yes. You know, I tried to think of an illustration for this. It's what preachers are supposed to do. It's to help us to see what it's like. But you know what? I'm sorry, Tom, because <laughs> I know that you like illustrations. I couldn't think of one because for me, to find an incident or a story or an occasion in life that somehow showed what this was like, I felt like it would just belittle its magnitude. So I decided not to try because I knew that you would be here. Because if you're a new, cre new creation, if you are a new creation in Christ, you are the illustration of this change of arrangement. And if you want to know what it's like, then I want to invite you to pray that right now. I want to invite you to come back to Jesus. If you're sitting here right now and you're not entirely sure, like, do I know Jesus like this? Do I know him as the sustainer of all things? then he offers to make a promise to you today for all of time, that you can know him, that you can know his presence, that you can be freed from the burden of guilt. If you want to know him in that way, just pray this with me now. Jesus, accept me as I am. I am sorry for the wrongdoing in my life. 
up to now. I want to live with you and for you from now on. Go back to the passage. I'm supposed to be preaching on Ruth chapter 4, not the book of Hebrews. But you see, the thing is, the providential plan of God to make promises is the whole story of the Bible. Ruth makes another covenant. She becomes Boaz's wife. And we see then that covenant produces fruit. Promises produce good things. And these are sincere and binding promises. It's all well and good, isn't it? Handing out barley, switching footwear. The bit I know you've all been waiting for, and I know you have, there has to be some sex in this story. There is a unity, isn't there, that results from sexual intercourse. It's why we teach that sex is the exclusive union of a man and a woman within the promises of marriage. He makes love to her and they seal the promise of the redemption. But why is this important to us? Now, I have to be careful here because there are parallels between marriage and our union with Christ. And it requires a bit more time than I've got here to explain it well. But if we take the example of Boaz and Ruth, they make a promise to one another and the promise is sealed. A foundation, a commitment to the future is made, which in their case is embodied in their son, Obed, whose son is Jesse, who's the father of David, and they're the ancestors of Jesus. Our union with Christ is it's clearly not the same, but it is similar, because our union with Christ is the result of our redemption. You see, everything that we've said right up to now leads us to this point. There is redemption. The combination of the providential work of God and his nature to make covenant is the working of redemption. So the climax of this story is that Ruth and Naomi receive redemption. This is where I want to finish today because, friends, the great news is there is a redeemer. He saw you and he knew you in the depth of your sin and your despair and he reached out his hand to you. He provided a way for you to enter back into his presence. He has allowed you to shelter under the corner of his blanket. He performed the ultimate exchange by giving his own life in place of yours. And he did that so that the justice of God would be fully satisfied and that you that forever, forever would be known as a child of the living God. But the work of redemption is more than a single moment. You know, we could read this story here and we could think, well, that was it then, wasn't it? Boaz agrees with the other relative that he would redeem Ruth and they will just kind of move on. But actually, 
that moment of a, of a single choice, it, it's just that, it's a moment in the work of redemption for Ruth. We've, we've seen the background to it, haven't we? That God has been providentially working in all the characters' lives, that the promises made between Ruth and Naomi are yielding fruit, that the fact that Ruth promises herself to Boaz and they pass through this moment symbolized by the hanging of a sandal and they move into this entirely new arrangement. It's the same for us. Our redemption is marked by a moment. It's when we choose to say Jesus is Lord. What that moment does is to move us from the confines of this old covenant into an entirely new relationship with the Father. What I'm hoping here is that you'll see that redemption, you'll see redemption for what it really is. It's not a single moment. It is that. That does happen. But it's a journey. It's a journey of increasing encounter with Jesus. I know in my own life that whilst I can clearly recall a moment some 30-odd years ago when I made a distinct choice to follow Jesus, it was really no more than a seed. You know what? It may not have even been the seed. That moment may well have been when the seed had germinated and, and first got exposed to light. But really, the best of my walk of redemption since that moment has been numerous occasions of hearing his voice, of touching his presence, of being caught up in worship, of seeing grace work through the lives of other people. You know, I remember a few years ago, Claire and I were staying in a little town called Yalifa, which is in Turkey, and we spent a little bit of time just visiting some, some Syrian refugees, and we met families who were living in, in desperate conditions. But, you know, redemption was being played out right there. The believers of that town, they were exercising mercy. Refugees from Syria were encountering grace. White British people were being welcomed into their homes. You see, redemption happens powerfully at the margins of our world. The Bible describes us as those who were predestined. It means that we were chosen. It says that we were called. We were activated into faith. It says we've been justified. We've been made right with God. And he then adopts us into his family. He grows us to become more like Jesus. He sends Holy Spirit to fill us and enable us to press on to a crown of glory that's held out for us. You see, a time will come when we will be glorified. So everything in the story of Ruth is bringing us to this point. It's his providence, his covenant, this redemption brings us to this moment. Let me read to you what it says in Corinthians. It says this, just hear this. As God speaking to you, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, 
is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The story of Ruth is an abridged story of how God always planned to work in creation. He's the one. He made a promise to himself to bring creation back to himself. Not because it was forced to, but because you and I chose to. In his kindness, in his love, in his providence, he made it possible for us to enter into a new covenant with him. A covenant that is full of redemption. The story of Ruth is God's story of working in and through that which he made. The story of Ruth is God's story of promise keeping. The story of Ruth is God's story to redeem that which had been lost and bring it back to himself. Ultimately, the working of redemption is bringing creation back to the creator. And we get to be a part of it. If you go away from here this morning and you basically allow the last 25 minutes to disappear, I'd ask you to remember this. The ongoing work of redemption in us is to minister redemption around us. Stand together, shall we? I want to invite you this morning. I said earlier on that there was something I wanted to come back to because I felt Holy Spirit just kind of prompting me with this a little bit, that we all make promises through the course of our lives. And I felt like there is a moment for us to be brave and to make a covenant with God this morning, to say to Jesus, where you go, I will go. It takes bravery, it takes courage, but I want to invite you to do that. I'm going to pray for you. And if that's something you say, actually, do you know what? Yeah, I need to come to the point in my walk with God, in my journey, in my walk of redemption, I need to come to the point where actually faith rises and I make a promise to Jesus to go wherever he's asking me to go.